Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. A number of times we're told in regard to the prayer life of Jesus that he would withdraw and that he would go into a solitary place. And of course, we need to get away from the busyness and the craziness so we can actually focus in on prayer. And so showing us the importance of getting into a place where we're not distracted. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 1, verses 35 through 45, in a message titled, The Forward Motion of the Kingdom. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So we pick up the story. We're going to look specifically at uh, verses 35 through 45 here in chapter 1. And what we're looking at here is the story of the advancing of the kingdom of God through the, the ministry of Jesus. Jesus comes and he inaugurates the kingdom. And he, through his ministry and through the ministry of the apostles and on and on, that that ministry would be advancing right down to this very day. The kingdom of God is still uh, moving forward to this very day. So as we look, though, at the passage uh, that we just read together, Mark tells us three things about the Lord's ministry. He tells us that, first of all, it was based in prayer. Secondly, that it was focused on preaching And thirdly, that it was carried out in power. And so what what we want to do is we want to look at the passage itself as we've been doing and um, look at the account that Mark gives us of Jesus praying, preaching, and healing and make the uh, needed comments on the text. But then we're going to come back around and we want to look at those three essential components in the forward motion of the kingdom in every generation, those components of prayer, of preaching, and of power. So beginning with the the passage itself here in verse 35, Jesus in prayer, we see now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So when we, when we look at the Gospels, we find many, many references in the Gospels to Jesus praying. And we're going to find this throughout the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you can find it in Matthew. You can find it in John. Interestingly, Luke, even though we're not in the Gospel of Luke, Luke, Luke highlights the prayer life of Jesus more than anyone else. And the reason for that is because Luke, his focus with Jesus is on his humanity. And Luke kind of presents Jesus as the, the perfect man. You know, the, the different gospel writers had, had different things that they emphasized about Jesus. So Matthew emphasizes that Jesus is the, he's the Messiah. He, he's the king of Israel. Uh, Mark, as we have seen, uh, Mark presents Jesus as the, the servant of the Lord. Uh, John presents Jesus as as God in human flesh. And, and Luke presents Jesus as the perfect 
person because Luke was a Greek. And so the Greeks were very much interested in like the perfect specimen of humanity. So, so Luke tells us much about the prayer life of Jesus. But here, Mark does as well, and he tells us that it was early before it was daylight that Jesus went out to a solitary place to pray. So we see here that Jesus is praying, and, and obviously two things are happening. Jesus is genuinely praying. He genuinely needs to connect with his father for the ministry that God's given him. But I think also we can safely say that Jesus is doing this as an example to us. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But, but he shows us by example the importance of prayer. Notice that it was very early. It was before daylight. He says actually that it was a long while before daylight. Now in the context, remember that Jesus had been ministering the night before late into the night because the people from all the surrounding villages had come to him and he was healing their diseases. He was casting out the demons. And the picture is that this went on late into the night. And then Jesus rises up a long while before daylight. So it shows us that Jesus um, saw prayer as so important that he obviously, you know, slept for a little bit, but he got up early and he went out and he sought out that solitary place. And a number of times we're told in regard to the prayer life of Jesus that he would withdraw and that he would go into a solitary place. And of course, we need to get away from the busyness and the craziness so we can actually focus in on prayer. Jesus was showing us the importance of that. In Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter, the 16th verse, uh, Luke puts it this way, Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And so showing us the, the importance of getting into a place where we're not distracted. He went out to a solitary place. Now, Jesus is there in this solitary place and as we read on, it says, and Simon and those who were with him, they searched for him. So, you know, if you just think about the scene, they all go to bed at night. <laughs> they, they wake up in the morning and Jesus isn't there. And they're wondering, you know, where did he go? So they go out and they're searching for him. And they find him and, and then they said to him, and I think they said it like this, kind of like, what are you doing? Everybody's looking for you. Why are you out here in this deserted place? Why are you out here in this solitary place? Everybody's looking for you. So at this stage, we're early on in the ministry of Jesus here in Galilee, but we see that his, his popularity has already come to the point where, as it says here, everybody was looking for him. But notice what Jesus says in response to that. He said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. And Mark adds, he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So Peter says, you know, what are you doing here? Jesus, that everybody's looking for you. Jesus says, it's time for us to go. 
It's time for us to go to the next town so that I can preach there. It's interesting that even though there's this great crowd that's gathered and they're, they're clamoring for the attention of Jesus, and of course, he's been healing people, so uh, the crowd is growing. They're hearing about the possibility of being healed. As important as that was, Jesus says, that's not the priority. Jesus says, we must go to the next village as well because I have been sent forth to preach. So here we see the second thing. We see Jesus, for him, preaching is a priority. Now, the word preaching means basically to proclaim or to publish something. I'm going to talk a little bit more about preaching a little bit later. But I just clarify that because sometimes we get like a certain image in our minds, you know, when we think about preaching. And a lot of times it's, it's kind of a negative image, isn't it? I mean, like we might even say to somebody, if we feel like they're, or, you know, if somebody's saying something to us that we don't like, and especially if they're telling us that we ought to do something or not do something, we might say something like, hey, stop preaching to me. So then, you know, when you think of somebody preaching or being preachy, that becomes like, ah, you know, I, I don't want any preaching going on here. The word doesn't really mean that. The word really just means, it means declaring. It means proclaiming. It means publishing. That's what Jesus was doing. And as I said, we see that that was a, a top priority for him. Even more so than the healing. So there's multitudes. Jesus, everybody's looking for you. And of course, they were looking for the healing. Jesus says, it's time to go to the other villages to preach. He says, because this is the reason that I was sent forth. So as much as Jesus came to heal and to have mercy and to touch people who were physically afflicted and demonically oppressed, his priority was preaching, was proclaiming the truth of God. And then the third thing that we see is Jesus and healing power. And that's here in the story of the leper in verses 40 through 45. Now, just a few things about this particular incident here. First of all, the leper. In those days, a leper was, he was a leper, he or she was as far out cast as you could possibly be. They, they were social outcasts. And you were instructed in those days to stay as far away from a leper as possible. Now, leprosy was a mysterious disease, and, and it still is, even to this very day. Today, it's called, this form of leprosy is called Hansen's disease, and it's, a, it's very mysterious as to how it's contracted. It's, um, it's a disease that can't be healed, and uh, way back in the book of Leviticus, way back in the Old Testament there, in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, there's instruction given on how to identify leprosy and then uh, the process for the cleansing of leprosy. But it becomes clear when you look at those passages in Leviticus, it becomes clear that leprosy is not only a disease, but in the Bible, it's also used as a type of sin. Because leprosy, when it is, as we would say, healed, the Bible doesn't use the term healed, it uses the term cleansed. And cleansing is a purification term. It's a term that's used in the context of, of religious ceremony. And so leprosy became, in a sense, a, a picture of sin. And although it was incurable, 
God actually built into his law the possibility for a cleansing from it. And so here's a man who is a complete outcast. Here's a man who has to, when he comes into any contact with any people, from a, from a great distance away, he has to begin, begin to shout that he is unclean. So everybody can be forewarned and everybody can flee. So it's, it's a pretty pathetic picture of, of uh, a lonely, isolated experience battling with this sickness. But he comes to Jesus and Jesus does something that nobody else would have done. Jesus had compassion on him. Now, most people wouldn't have done that because of the fear of contracting leprosy. So it wasn't like maybe they didn't feel in their hearts like look at him and say, oh gosh, I feel so bad. But sorry, I can't do anything for you. I can't help you. I can't get near you. I certainly can't touch you because you know, of, the, of the possibility of getting contaminated. But some, and tragically, some of the religious leaders of the day, they had instructed people because they they sort of blended the leprosy with sin. You know, in their minds, like if a person was a leper, it's because they were under a judgment from God. So some of the rabbis would teach that if a leper came anywhere near you, you were to pick up rocks and you were to throw them at the leper to keep the leper from coming close at all. So that's the experience of the leper. But now this leper, he approaches Jesus And for whatever reason, he has this sense that Jesus is approachable. And he comes to Jesus, and as we see here, he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him. Now, that was a violation of the law. The law said, you shall not touch a leper. If you touch a leper, then you would become unclean yourself. You would be ceremonially defiled. But it didn't say anything about if you touch a leper and then the leper is healed of the leprosy. (laughs) If If you touch a leper and your touch causes the leprosy to leave, then what can you say? And so, of course, that is what Jesus did. But notice, though, the compassion that Jesus, he was moved with compassion and he touched this person. You can imagine that this person probably, I mean, we don't know how long they've been in the state, but they probably had not had a human touch in a long, long time. And so it's interesting that Jesus doesn't just say, hey, okay, stand back, you know, stay over there. And yes, you're clean. But no, Jesus touches. And that's Jesus. He touches. He touches the defiled, but he cleanses when he touches. And so what we see here, and the point that I really want to make here, is is what we see here again with Jesus is we see power. So he says to him, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the man is cleansed. So we see that Jesus In this passage, he prayed, he preached, and he exerted power. Now, in just the rest of the text here, Jesus instructs the man, don't tell anybody what's happened. Just go to the priest, show yourself, and uh, offer the sacrifice. And then the man just seems to have completely 
ignored what Jesus said and he went out and he began to publish what Jesus did. Now, some people are really critical of this guy. You know, look at him. Jesus heals him and he's, he doesn't even obey Jesus. Well, okay, I get that. But you know, I think if I was healed of leprosy and Jesus said, don't tell anybody, it'd be hard to contain that, wouldn't it? I, I don't think Jesus condemned him over that. But why would Jesus even say that in the first place? Well, the reason why Jesus said it is because the more the word spread about him, the more difficult his mission would become. Because you see, as people would begin to identify him as the Messiah, in their mind, the Messiah is the one who's going to come and be the king. He's the one who's going to exalt Israel once again. He's the one who's going to overthrow the Romans. And so he knows that if people are, are thinking you know, that about him, the, the Messiah is here, it's going to make his mission more difficult. So he instructs those that he heals on occasion not to tell anybody. We know from John's gospel that there was an incident where after Jesus performed a miracle, it says they came and they tried by force to make him a king. But there was a, a, an appointed time for that to happen and that time had not come. So Jesus says that um, they were to, to keep silent about it, but the man went out and he, he, he broadcasted this out there publicly and it resulted in Jesus no longer openly being able to enter into the cities but having to be in the deserted areas outside. So that's what's happening here as we look at the text. But I want to take now and I want to make application in regard to these three things. So what we're looking at here is these three essential components for the forward motion of God's kingdom. Because like I said, Jesus began, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom. He came and he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. And of course, he thoroughly inaugurated it upon his death and resurrection. But since that time, the kingdom of God has been advancing. The kingdom of God has been moving forward. And that is still the case today. The kingdom of God is the place where Christ rules, where he reigns. And that's basically in the hearts of men and women. And the mission of the church is to carry on the advancement of the gospel. So here's the question. How do we do that? And the answer is right in front of us. This is how we do it, just like Jesus did it, with prayer, with preaching, and with the power of the Spirit. So let's look at each one of those in regard to how we see the kingdom move forward, both in our lives personally and collectively within the culture. So... Again, prayer. Jesus showed us by example the importance of prayer. And again, let me say, remember, Jesus is, uh, he's the son of God. And so if the son of God needs to pray, then we need to pray as well. If Jesus sensed the need to, to communicate with his father we also have that need. And obviously we have that need in, a, in an even greater way. Timothy Keller in his fantastic book on the subject of prayer, he said this. He said, Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray. He healed people with prayers, insisted some demons can only be cast out through prayer. 
He prayed often and regularly with fervent cries and tears and sometimes all night. The Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him while he was praying. He was transfigured with the divine glory as he prayed. When he faced his greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. We hear him praying for his disciples and the church the night before he died and then petitioning God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Finally, he died praying. The point is, and it could, he could have gone on and on making it, the point is Jesus prayed. He taught us to pray, and he showed us to pray uh, with his own life. Listen, prayer is the great weapon, if you will, that God has given us to advance the kingdom. Now, I use the term weapon. Why do I use the term weapon? Because we're in a battle. We're in a war. We're in a spiritual battle. And there are these forces that are arrayed against the advancement of the kingdom. And the only way those forces are going to be pushed back is through using the spiritual weapons that God has given us. And prayer is a huge one of them. We have this amazing power, this power of prayer. But how is it that we have this amazingly powerful weapon that we so often neglect? How is it that we so often neglect this amazing weapon of prayer? How is it that we miss out on how vitally important this is when we've got Jesus teaching us how to pray and we've got Jesus showing us how to pray? How is it? I don't know how it is. I'm just... (laughs) I'm as baffled as you are because sometimes I think like, what, even with myself, Lord, what is the matter with me? Why am I not praying about these things when I have the amazing privilege to pray? You see, prayer, there's a couple things that happen in prayer. Number one, prayer is where we acknowledge our own weakness and powerlessness to accomplish the will, the plan, and the purposes of God. That, that's what we're doing. So when I pray... I am admitting I don't have what it takes to do what needs to be done. I'm admitting that I need assistance. I need help. Now, conversely, when I don't pray, whether I'm intending to or not, what I'm saying is, hey, it's okay. I got it handled. I got it covered. But the fact of the matter is, no, we don't have it handled. We, we really don't have it covered. We are weak. We are powerless. We're in a a spiritual battle, and you can't win a spiritual war with anything less than spiritual weapons. That's why Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, he, he reminds him, he says, the weapons of our warfare, they're not merely human, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You see, all of all that we can muster up as, as human beings, all of the resources that we might muster, all of the intellect that we might muster, all of the, you know, whatever, argumentation, whatever we, we might think that, okay, I've got, I've got all of these resources to, to move forward spiritually, I can't go anywhere because the weapons of our warfare are not merely human. Let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource. So Brian, your friend has written another great book and he's your friend and he's also kind of your little bit of a fan. Let's just be honest. I am a big fan of 
Ray Ortland, and he has written this fantastic little book on the gospel. But really, the gist of it is creating gospel culture within your church. So, gospel culture is really, it's a culture of love, it's a culture of grace, it's a culture where anybody can come in and know that they're going to be given an opportunity to hear the good news of of God's love, and people are going to be patient and not judgmental and give God time to work. So that's pretty much what he lays out in this great little book. people are going to be like Jesus. People are going to be like Jesus. As they study Jesus. Yeah. So I highly recommend this little book by my friend Ray Ortland called The Gospel. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Gospel by Ray Ortland. You can order the book The Gospel by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The Gospel by Ray Ortland, to help you develop a biblical perspective of gospel culture. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.